Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. Nobody asked us, so let's get our voices heard. Written off years ago as the Slacker generation, we actually have brought a lot to the world behind the scenes. Now we need to bridge two opposing generations and make sure non-Karen voices are heard. I'm your host, Trish The Dish, and I'm going to interview Gen Xers being rad and doing cool shit in the world. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. I don't want to be an army one. Hi, James. Um, so I'm dying to ask you what it's like to, in, to be in this COVID world. In What city are you living in right now? Uh, so I'm in uh, Worthing. A little town called Worthing, which is in West Sussex, um, and it's about uh, nine or ten miles along the coast from Brighton. Okay, so still in the south southwest of the UK. Yeah, south south coast, uh, sunny sunny Worthing. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's sort of like people talk about the new normal. So maybe maybe we're in the new normal now because I'm getting used to a whole lot of things that uh, six months ago would have been you know crazy to talk about. Like what exactly? Well, like, um, <clears throat> so I, I've, I was on a train today. It's the first time I've been on a train since March because I was back at school. Did that feel weird, just being on the train with humans? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And everyone's wearing a mask. Um, everyone? Yeah, pretty much everyone. A lot. Uh, some people aren't, and some people are doing that thing where um, – They've just got the mask over their mouth and their nose is hanging oh, over the top. God, that is so, <laughs> to me, it's so pornographic. Like, I don't want to see your damn nose. That's how I feel yeah. right now. <laughs> Have you seen that little meme about, um, you know, if, if you do this with your mask, it's like doing this with, with your underpants. And, you know. <laughs> Have you seen that? <laughs> no. no I <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll let you fill in the blanks, but you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you're actually going to the school then? Yeah. Uh, so our so our new school year um, starts on Monday. Uh, all the kids come back. Uh, so today and tomorrow um, are like training days for staff. We call them inset days here. Yeah, we call them professional development. Okay. Yeah. So we're in today and uh, all you know all sat in a hall, but um, but socially distanced from each other. So all our chairs are like you know a meter or two apart and. Uh, talking about the weirdness of the year to come and how, you know, we've got all this extra stuff to think about, like all the start times and end times of the day will have to be staggered for the different year groups and uh, break times and lunch times and all manner of logistical problems. And what year do you teach? So I'm going to be with, uh, it's a year four class. Um, so let me just convert to American money. Uh, you take, you add one, I'm looking at Nicole. You add one on for grade or you take one off? Year four is fifth, third grade? Third grade. Uh, yeah, so, so, the kids, so the kids are yeah, the kids are coming back on Monday and um, some of them haven't been at school since March. So when, when, when lockdown happened, uh, the schools kind of shut. But what we did was we all the schools stayed open for 
children of what were classed as key workers. So this was like people who worked in hospitals, doctors, nurses, teachers, um, uh, other sort of, um, it was quite a reasonably long list in the end of what constituted a key worker. Um, it included, uh, you know, people that worked in supermarkets and uh, delivery drivers and, um, you know, mail. Right. So, um, so that meant that when lockdown first happened, most of the kids weren't at school, apart from the key worker children. And I was going in uh, one day a fortnight um, to yeah, because we we didn't we didn't need we didn't need need many staff. So I was I was going in. So were you remote teaching at the time? Yeah. So we were doing. Um, so I have a few kids that I support, and we were doing Zoom sessions over Zoom. And it was really cool, actually, because some of the education um, resource providers, they made all of their online content free. So uh, there's there's one that we use loads with kids here called Oxford Reading Tree. And uh, they they just made all of their content free to access. And uh, they, they've got all these ebooks. So I was able to open an ebook, uh, you know, Zoom with a kid, open an ebook, share my screen, and then we could read the book together, even though I was, you know, sat at my dining table in Worthing and they were sat in their living room in, in Brighton. <clears throat> so we were doing a bit of that, but it's no, you know, it's no substitute for kind of face-to-face teaching, really. Right. And you said your 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 sub your support. So what is that exactly in terms of education in the UK? Right. So I, I'm never sure if there's a direct American equivalent of this. Well, I am as a teaching assistant. Um, and uh, That's pretty much exactly what we call it. Yeah. Um, I'm like the extra adult in the classroom uh, some of the time. And then uh, a lot of the time I'm working with one child or, or a small group of children. Uh, normally kids that need a bit of extra support. A lot of what I do involves supporting children on the autism spectrum or who have other kind of behavioral challenges or whatever. Right. How in the world did you get into that world? I mean, I met you as a French major. I mean, what in the heck? How did that happen? (laughs) Um, Well, yeah. So um, I was working... uh, So after... after, How far back should we go? So (laughs) I'll I'll give you the short version. Yeah. Um, so after after I graduated, I, w- I wanted to stay in Brighton. I ended up working in a call centre. It was meant to be um, it was meant to be a, a sort of you know a stopgap job, and I ended up being there for three years, uh, answering phones. Um, and then a little while later, I sort of fell, as most people who work in sales uh, seem to do. I fell into being in sales, but I wasn't very good at it because um, if people, t- I was terrible too. No, I was rubbish because, you know, if someone tells me no, I'm like, I'm more likely to go, yeah, no, you're probably right. You, you probably, <laughs> yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want it. It's probably it's probably not for you. I'm so sorry I bothered you. Have a good night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My manager just cringing. Yeah, no, not not a, nat- not a natural salespeople, uh, not a natural salesperson. I've met natural salespeople. One of my closest friends uh, is is a salesman and he's amazing at it. And when you meet someone who's really good at it, um, they can persuade you to do just about anything. Um, but what, yeah, that wasn't for me. Uh, so then I ended up, uh, the one company I started in sales and it was a software company. And then while I was there, I moved from the sales department to the implementation side and it was a bit more technical. Um, and I was something, this is absolutely as dull as it sounds. I was a business analyst, uh, for a recruit, for a recruitment software company. 
Um, so some of the time, the enjoyable bit of the job was I'd get to go all over the country and uh, meet new clients and sit with them and document all their requirements and uh, stay in hotels and um, do fun do fun stuff like that. And then I'd have to go back to the office and sit and write these, um, God, what were they called? Configuration specification documents. Sounds like a riot. Um, which was, lo- oh man, I've fallen asleep just thinking about it. Lots of um, lots of screenshots and lots of like real detailed requirements, and a lot of kind of unpicking what had been promised by the sales team, which actually couldn't couldn't be delivered. Uh, so uh, yeah, I know we told you it could do this, but well, it can't do that. It can kind of do a, something a bit like that. We could we could have it do that maybe. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that was. It was it was okay. It was a living anyway. So I, I got laid off from that job because the company was restructuring and what have you. And and at that point, because of their lies, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the lies caught up with them. So uh, after um, uh, yeah, so Sammy was about a year old. Sammy, my son, uh, who's nearly nine now. Uh, he was so he was about he was about a year old, and um, it was kind of one of those just like you get to a crossroads and you think, well, do I really want to do this same kind of soul destroying job for somebody else or do I actually want to do um actually do something that I want to do uh so I looked into teaching and uh for various reasons it wasn't the right wasn't the right fit and then somebody said well what have you thought about um like uh, being a teaching assistant or a learning support assistant something like that so I started off and all the advice I had was well just get into a school and and um and get some volunteering time so, so that's what I did, and I ended up the school that I'm still at now was uh, the first one that I volunteered, first and only school that I volunteered at. Um, and I was there for a year, and in that year, I found about a course I could do that was like a recognised qualification for the for the job that I do. So I ended up doing that, and I needed a placement school, so I stayed at the same school and did my placement there and did my course. And then during that year, a job came up, and um, and so yeah, I've been there ever since. Uh, so that was oh, seven seven years I've been there now. So yeah. How how do you have time to do that kind of job? Obviously, there's a commute involved, and then be a parent for a nine year old, um, and all of a sudden you've decided to you know embark on this musical journey. How in the world do you juggle all of that, or have the energy? Uh, well, that's two separate questions, isn't it? Uh, um, so sometimes I, you know, it's both, and and both of those things have to happen at the same time. I have to have the time to do it and the energy and the inclination to do it. And and those don't always line up. Um, so it might be that, uh, you know, I've got a couple of hours free, but I'm just exhausted uh, and I can't do it. Um, so it, it happens, it happens slowly, which is why it kind of takes me three to six months to record a song and release it because I'm doing it in, in snatches of time in between, you know, loads of laundry and school runs and, um, you know, day job and all of that stuff. So how old are you, James? I am 42. I was 42 uh, on uh, the 17th of August. Oh, well, happy birthday. Um, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. So I think... Um, I, I, I've looked into this and I think I just about qualify as Generation X, depending on who you ask. Um, so I was born in 78. Um, 
I was a kid in the 80s and a teen in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, some, some, some places I looked, they, they reckoned that I wasn't. Or they reckoned I was born slightly too late. Oh, really? Um, um, yeah. So, so have you ever heard of the term zenial? Because that's also a term that's being thrown around as sort of that, that apparently I've missed being born in the later part of 75, which blows my mind because the parameters of one foot being in the analog, one foot being in the digital, yeah. um, especially in your childhood, is literally me. But yeah, no, no, me too. Yeah. Even from being born a few years later. Um, when so we've um you know like like you probably can we can we can set series links uh you know on our tv and things um and do all of that kind of digital tv set to record you know and grab a whole a whole season of something um but i still call it taping it <laughs> oh there's, there's a new series of such should we should we tape it <laughs> Hasn't been taping. Hasn't been tape involved. <laughs> That's awesome. You were like talking about like an actual cassette tape. Yeah. That you would like put into an actual machine exactly. yeah, yeah, and yeah. like hit record and like program it to tape your favorite show. <laughs> well, so in the UK though, is there even conversations about generations? And do you guys have the same over there as the OK Boomer against older people or Karens as we call? Uh, with. Mm. We, we we yeah 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 a bit um but i think that's a social media thing that started in the u.s and is now kind of used here um you will hear it here uh so the <laughs> i was thinking about this the other day like if we have an equivalent um one of the so one of the things really interesting that's that's happened of course we've got a lot of moving parts right we've got our class system uh, which you know <laughs> hundreds of years uh, of, of separating people uh, by their backgrounds and, and all the rest of it here so uh, that's a big old moving part as well um, but then something really interesting happened uh, a few years ago and we had this vote whether we whether or not we wanted to stay in the European Union we had the brexit vote and we're still talking about it now and you're either a lever or a remainer um, and that kind of um, that kind of became a bit of a generational split or a perceived generational split so the the kind of um the theory is that it was mostly older people boomers who who voted to leave um because they're you know terrible old racists who who want to go back to some kind of uh, idyllic um imagined version of England that never actually existed where we all you know eat cucumber sandwiches and play cricket on the village green um and 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 all the younger people wanted to stay because you know that's they want to go and work in Europe and fall in love in Europe and you know have all this freedom and 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 you know, you awful older people, are, you had all this freedom and you're robbing us of it. And it's, so it kind of became this really divisive thing. Um, and uh, so this term, I, have, you heard, have you heard the term, it's a pejorative term, have you heard of people being called gammons? No. <laughs> no, I'm guessing not. So, uh, so your stereotypical gammon would be um, uh, a white man, uh, sort of middle-aged or above, uh, Red-faced, hence the gammon. Do you know what gammon is? It's it's a pork product, basically. I'm talking to a vegan. Of course, you don't know what gammon is. It's it's like it's like thick. It's like fat bacon. Okay, <laughs> so um, yeah, so uh, so they're all you know they're pink and they're shouting and they're on you know on panel discussion shows and they're and they're these terrible old races. So you have got gammons. And then on the other side, you've got your snowflakes. Do you have, you have the term snowflake? Oh, yeah. The, the, the far right here in the United States um, and boomers specifically love to call anyone else 
a snowflake. Right. You know, and, and then you, so your stereotypical snowflake would be, you know, young and idealistic and, um, you know, hopeful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All of that good stuff. But, but also like, you know, they've, uh, but, but, uh, the, the stereotype would be, they've got to have their, you know, their, their safe spaces and their trigger warnings. And if they get the wrong kind of milk in their latte, that's a microaggression. And, you know, they all need to just kind of, you know, they need, they need to, they need to, well, they all need to man up and, uh, you know, and stop being such uh, you know, sensitive little soul. Neither of those things is, is really true. Right. And that's, that's how stereotypes work. I mean, there's, 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 there's probably like a little bit of truth in both of them somewhere along the line. That's how stereotypes work. Right. There's got to be a little bit, a little kernel of, of, of truth in there somewhere. But really, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much it actually plays out in the real world. Um, I think like a lot of people, I spend too much time looking at Twitter and you can you you can you can very quickly convince yourself that Twitter's the real world, and it isn't. Um, what what happens on social media is just sort of passes the vast majority of people by. Um, they're just not engaged with it. Um, so, uh, and and people sort of tend to exist um, often. And I I like to follow people that I don't agree with on social i think that's where that you know that's where really interesting because sometimes that can you know that can make you question how you think about something if if all you do if all you do is exist in in a sort of online echo chamber and talk to people who agree with you um and then there's a big vote and it goes you know and and suddenly all these millions of people have have disagreed with you and you think where were all these people i wasn't talking to these people online where have they all come from well they were there all along you just that's literally what's happened here in the united states when trump got elected all of us we're like, what? I don't know a single person because we we live in these little pockets of yeah. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were just all talking to you. You were all talking to yourselves on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, I guess I guess there are other humans in the world. What? But don't you think that's kind of the beauty of social media, if you use it right? is this window into a world where you're not even exposed to. Because let's, let's pretend, let's go way back and pretend that we're still, in, you know, our little dorms in, in, in Montpellier at, you know, Paul Valéry. Um, and, you know, what was our world? Our world was literally like the British kids, the American kids that all kind of were in the same cohort. And then you'd have a random French person that we'd interact with, Um, but definitely not older people or, uh, you know, older French people. So the exposure and, and what you come home with from living abroad in that kind of situation is so narrow, right? Yeah. Do you know what? I, I, I don't remember speaking much French that year. (laughs) That's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, we, yeah, well, it was quite, it was quite a narrow world and, 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 um, you know, some people's real world is quite narrow. Um, but, but I think, yeah, the, going back to the online thing, um, th- there's a danger that we all just sort of disappear into these silos and never talk to one another. And I, I think that's, that's where the interesting stuff is, right? Talking to somebody who disagrees with you or listening to, um, you know, lis- listen to a podcast from someone who, who, whose views you, you know, you, you ne- don't necessarily agree with, but, um, I, I think you've got to go a long way to find someone that you don't agree with anything on. So I, I, I like to find that little bit of, I like, I like asking people, you know, I like finding out what makes people tick. I, I, I tend to, you know, I try to ask more questions than, than I do talking about myself. Definitely. So in the midst of all of this chaos, 
COVID and racial tensions, Brexit, all these things, you have found this space and time to cultivate Milo James. What is Milo James and and why the name Milo James? Oh, okay. Um, so, well, you know, he's, <laughs> he, um, well, he's me uh, and I'm him. Uh, he's kind of my alter ego. And um, uh, I suppose the kind of, I, I, I hate to let di- daylight in on magic, but um, the, the, <laughs> the simple answer is Milo James, because I just didn't feel like my own name was quite, kind of rock and roll enough um you know there, there's there, there's there's a re, there's a reason that um you know we're all buying elton john records and not reg dwight records you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. would, would reg would yes. reg dwight have sold as many <laughs> you know would he have had as many platinum discs as elton john uh i suspect not um but but the, so what i could have done what i could have done is um i could have chosen like a completely um off the wall name like I've always really loved the name Badly Drawn Boy, um, but but I want but I wonder how people interview him. Uh, so <laughs> Badly Drawn Boy, welcome. <laughs> clearly, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. what, what do I call you for short? Um, I also I was noticing that um, quite a lot of stuff that I that I listen to, quite a lot of stuff I pop up that pops up on Spotify and things. If it's something you've never heard before, I look at it sometimes and I. I like which which is the what's the song title and what's the artist? Uh, like I can't I can't work it out. So I wanted to have a name that was a name. Do, do you know what I mean? It wasn't something. Uh, oh, that could be the name of the song, or it could be the name of the band. Uh, and I sort of I was pl- playing around with stuff, and um, I liked the idea of having James as the last name instead of being my first name. Uh, my real first name's Jane. Uh, for any of your listeners who aren't aware of that fact. Um, so, and I just sort of play, played around with names that kind of fitted with, with putting James at the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, that one just sort of stuck, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, so that was a few years ago. Yeah, so, um, I mean, how, how far do you want to go back with the, uh, with the journey to, uh, you know, what I've done in the last couple of years? Um, well, I guess it really depends. Like, it, was Milo James the first time that you actually created and produced and and put music out there or have you ever been in a band? Did you ever used to play coffee houses? Like that was a big thing in the nineties and the two thousands. Right. Okay. So, um, so I've always, I've always played, I've always played an instrument of some kind ever since I was, I don't know, six or seven. And I started having piano lessons. Um, I did piano for a bit and then that wasn't kind of exciting and sexy enough. So I did keyboard uh, and we were talking about the end of the end of the eighties, right? So keyboard meant um, you had uh, you had rhythms and uh, you know drum parts, and you had uh, like um, instead of having to play bass clef with your left hand, you just held down a chord shape, and that made like a cool thing come out of the out of the keyboard. Um, and that was a bit more fun because uh, you know I wasn't trying to play Beethoven anymore; I was playing Ghostbusters uh, and stuff like that. It was cool. Um, and then also like so my my dad uh has always played guitar uh there was always a guitar in the house um i kind of gravitate to it i can remember being like little and sitting on and having it kind of flat on the floor i was too little to have it on my lap so i just kind of lay it flat on the floor and just kind of you know kind of go back and forth on the strings and make it make a noise um so his guitar was always in the house and then i kind of gravitated towards that i never had guitar lessons um but dad had a, um, he had a book of chord shapes, uh, and I kind of learned a few chords and, um, 
and then I, I sort of I I kind of taught myself to play by listening to uh, listening to the bands that I that I wanted to emulate, I suppose, and and kind of with the CD player and the pause button, um, and trying to work, <laughs> yeah, and trying to work out. I, so I, I I look at um if if there's like a song I want to learn now, I can go onto YouTube and there's like two thousand versions of someone teaching you how to play this song, and and ex- and, and exactly where to put your fingers and. You know, there's a split screen, and one screen is on the like the picking hand, and one screen is on the in, is on the fretting hand, and it's in minute detail, and you can pause it, and you can go back, and it's it's all there for you. Um, I didn't have anything like that. I had to just sort of learn my own way, I suppose. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was lots of that, and then so fast forward a couple of years, and um, I was at college at, at uni, and um, started a band with a friend of mine at uni. We, you know, and we were convinced that this was nine tail end of '96, so it's kind of like the peak of the what became known as the Britpop era in the UK. Um, and you know, I was utterly convinced that we were we were going to be the next big thing, as I'm sure every band was at the time. Um, and what had to happen in those days is you had to get signed, right? You had to, um, like, um, oh, uh. Okay, um, this is a good Gen X reference. So in Wayne's World, they have to. You must have seen Wayne's World, right? They have to. They have to do. So they have to do this this really elaborate thing at the end of Wayne's World to get Mr. Big, the record company executive, to be tuned in to the band in his limo so that he sees them. So he turns up with his big cigar and decides to sign them to this record deal. That's what you had to do. That's the only way you could get your, um, you know, safer making demo tapes and and sharing them with your friends. If you could even afford the studio time, that was what you had to do. You had to, and and I don't know why, but that didn't happen to us. <laughs> we didn't get. I it, it, it Trish, it baffles me to this day. I can't believe um, it. it. I can't c- believe it. I know it can't possibly be because we were just a rubbish student band. It's definitely it's definitely not that. Um, so I don't know. It's a mystery. We did so we didn't get signed, and 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 I didn't get my platinum disc, and we didn't headline Glastonbury. Um, which is all of which is just, you know, is bewildering. Um, and then, so after, so then that kind of died a death. Uh, well, wait, did you guys play any shows? Oh, we, we played. So, okay. I should tell you a little bit about the, um, about kind of how it all came together. So my first year of, of, of university at Sussex, Brighton, um, we, uh, there was a bunch of us, there was a, there was a, a campus open mic night at this little bar on campus and what happened that year was um, lots of the same people ended up coming every week and uh, and playing. And, and it kind of became, rather than just like loads of people turning up for an open mic night, it kind of became more like a jam night, like the same people would turn up every week. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really similar and, to some of our open mic and, um, you know, things in the 90s and in Arizona and Flagstaff. Yeah. It, no, it, and it was lovely. And it was a real kind of little community of... of um, of musicians and we all kind of played together and uh what ended up happening the one and only time that i've ever been in a, in a proper recording studio the um so what one of our number was a bit older uh he was a mature student and um uh he was kind of i guess he was like our de facto leader uh he was like our guru his name was tom um uh, and he was amazing he, and, he, and he had all this backstory which i still don't really know he's a bit of a bit of an enigma that's for a, he could do a whole other podcast on uh, on tom so anyway t- tom went to the um student finance office and said we've got all these all these great mu- student musicians 
um, can we have some money so that we can go and all make a CD together uh, with our songs? Um, and to his amazement and ours, they said, yeah, um, but you've got to form a society first so we can officially give you, because we can only give, uh, you know, um, uh, we can only give university funds to official societies. So we all sat around in this bar one evening and paid 20 pence um, to become members of the uh, University of Sussex Open Mic Society. I don't know if it still exists or not. Um, I'd like to think it does. And, and we went, and we went to, to the studio in, in a place called Burgess Hill in West Sussex. And uh, we spent a, a week or two there and we, and we, we recorded our songs. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we sold the CD on campus uh, for, I, I think it was five pounds or maybe six pounds. Um, and a few people bought them and there was box loads of them left over at the end. Uh, and I've got one somewhere in the loft or something. I'm not really sure. Um, but that was, it was, it was great fun. And we got to, we got to pretend to be rock stars for the day and turn up at a studio and do that. So, um, so that was kind of like that, that was sort of our pin. We, we played a couple of shows in Brighton and we played this open mic night every week. And then, um, it just kind of, it just sort of withered away. So I'm really interested in how different it is today to be a musician than this sort of story that you were telling us about, about playing in coffee houses and, um, you know, hoping that your friends show up to listen to you play. Now you can put it on the internet and you can have people all over the world listening to your music. Um, it, it's so different. So um, I know, I think you told me that you had um, listeners in like Iceland or uh, something like that. Like that's, that's just like unheard of um, from, from when we used to play music um, and, and put like flyers on, uh, you know, light posts. Yeah, I mean, I'm in front of my computer here, so I can actually tell you. I'm, I'm going on to my Spotify for artists, and this is re this is really. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, the Spotify model is, is is hugely problematic for artists in terms of getting paid and making a living. It's not perfect. Um, no, nobody's going to get rich from uh, you know from their music being streamed. Um, but in terms of getting it to people, and and you know that cutting out that middleman of having a record deal, it's amazing what you can do now. Um, where am I? Spotify for artists. Yeah. So, and you get these great stats as well. Um, I'm, I'm really obsessed with the stats. You can, you can see how many streams you've had and how many listeners you've had. Um, oh my and, gosh, I'm totally obsessed with that with my podcast. Right. But you can, but you can see, and you get a breakdown of, I'm looking at it now, you get a breakdown of, um, their gender and their age and, and the countries and their, and the countries that they're in. For some reason, um, my, all of my, nearly all of my top countries are in Latin America. Um, oh, wow. So <laughs> I know, I don't know how it's happened, but um, yeah, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Mexico. Um, these are all the countries where my music has been streamed, which, you know, it's like, it's like it's just been, it's like it's been sent into space, you know, and it's been heard in other galaxies. It, the, the, the idea that this would have been unheard of, um, that I've just, I've sat at the, in the, you know, in the same chair I'm sat in now at my kitchen table and recorded something. And uh, 57 people have listened to it, and 57 separate people, 57 separate devices um, have streamed it in Brazil. That could be one guy with 57 phones, for all I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a true, yeah. true friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd just like to, to thank my Brazilian fan and all his phones. Um, 
Yeah, it's where you even get the cities that they're in. Uh, I mean, you're probably in here somewhere. Uh, oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, I love your music. But who are you playing to when you're sitting at your kitchen table? It's so different to be in a studio and, you know, seeing that big mix mix board and oh, you yeah. know, going into the actual recording booth. And, oh, my gosh, I never felt like more of a rock star than being in a studio, as opposed to, like, you're explaining the sort of kitchen setup. Like, who... Who are you? How do you perform? Because you're you're doing a great job. You've got this YouTube channel um, right. where we get to actually watch you. So so tell me about that. How's who are you playing to? Uh, the cat, if she's in the room, and um, if not, <laughs> nobody. Um, yeah, I just kind of um, I, I I tend to do it when everyone's gone out, um, and it's quiet in the house, uh, and. Um, yeah, if I'm recording my own stuff, I'll set everything up much the same way I've got now. I've got my mic and my audio interface, my laptop, and I just sit here at the table. And the, the thing about not being in a studio um, is that you can have you, know, you don't have to worry about the cost. Um, you don't have to worry about how many goes you've had at something. Um, and the rest of the band are kind of you know looking at their watches and thinking, how many times is he going to how many times is he going to play this guitar solo before he actually plays it right? you know uh, so there isn't any of that but by the same token I sometimes I'm sat here and thought oh just I really want to do one more take of this um, bass part but the dishwasher's finished or you know <laughs> load of laundry load of laundry I don't think David Bowie ever had to stop you know because there was a load of laundry and he needed to peg out on the washing line um so yeah it's 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 a strange thing but it's it's nice to be able to do it and I can you know when I've got the time to fit it in it's 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 amazing to be able to sit here and do it the the YouTube channel's a newer thing um and that kind of came about because, well, so it can take me months to get one song done, you know, because this is not my job. I'm fitting this in around, you know, work and family and, um, you know, school runs and all the rest of it. Uh, so it takes it takes me a long time to um, put something out. And I, I know I know because there are some sort of independent artists that I, that I follow. They're amazing at just they keep putting stuff out all the time. I don't know how they do it. Um, it takes me a long time to finish writing anything. It takes me a long time to record it uh, and, and and get it out there. So the idea with the YouTube channel was to just kind of, I can do that. That's much easier to do. I can I can sit in my little snug upstairs um, and and put, turn my webcam on and play a few songs. And, uh, you know, and then, so the idea is I'm going to try and put one out every week. So there's regular kind of stuff happening regular content yeah um, and you do original as well as covers yeah and i just love the tom petty song you did i won't back down i won't back down yeah thank you yeah no that's um that, that was fun to, that was fun to do so i've got some more like that that i'm going to be um putting out over the sort of coming weeks and that's just a kind of um it's sort of a way to hopefully keep people engaged what is music writing for you at 42 how is that different than when you were 22 oh that's a really interesting question i've thought about that a lot and um there, there's a nice little um there's a nice sort of little um link to the past with the first the first single that i that i put out uh, last year a song called walk the wire Have you been here before? 
And I started writing that song when I was about 25 and I never finished it. Um, I, I read, I had, it, had, it kind of had the same melody, had all different words and it was a kind of a different, had a real different feel to it. Um, and it was one of those things, like lots of things I've done over the years where I've started them and not finished them. Um, and I kind of put it away and, uh, and then, so whatever it was that happened a couple of years ago, where like something just clicked and, and I, it's all started happening again. Um, that was the first thing that I went back to. And it was really weird. It was like walking into a room I hadn't been in for 15 years. Um, and like, Oh God, yeah, I had, I had this in, I had this in here. Um, <laughs> let's see if this, let's turn this on and see if it still works. To go back to your question from hours ago about <laughs> what it's like writing music in my forties to write music in my twenties. I, I couldn't have done what I'm doing now when I was 25. Um, I didn't have the kind of, uh, didn't have the perspective that I've got now. Um, and I think I would have, yeah, I'm, I'm really actually in a way, and I'm happy that I, when I was in my twenties, that wasn't a time where everything was recorded and chucked out on Spotify and it's there forever. Um, um, when this when this latest one was nearly finished, I said I said to uh, so my wife, I said I think this feels like the most honest piece of work I've done. Heavy hearts fading light, down comes the night. Um, because I didn't. Um, I, I didn't kind of uh, throw too much at it sonically. It was it's a quiet, gentle little song. I didn't want to kind of beat it to death with loads of guitar parts and, and you know stuff that didn't need to be there. So I tried to make it as simple as possible. Um, and and, and uh, so what came out this kind of more sort of stripped back thing? It's what I should have been doing from the beginning, probably. Just felt more like okay. This 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 feels more like what who you know who I am as a as a songwriter or an artist or whatever. This 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 feels more like um, this feels more like me. Okay, now it's time for our rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite memory from childhood? Um. Okay, I've I've got a few. I'm going to pick one at random. Um. Uh. So we had a holiday in Corfu. A family holiday. Um, I was probably about 10, something like that. Uh, so it was our first kind of proper holiday where you get on a plane and you go abroad kind of thing. Um, and I can remember being at a restaurant. It was an evening um, and I couldn't decide what I wanted. And I was allowed to have um, like spaghetti, uh, spaghetti bolognese. Is that a thing in the US? Probably not. No, no, no. No, I haven't finished. I was, alle- I was allowed to have spaghetti bolognese and chips. Yeah, I was allowed the chips as well because we were on holiday. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I am, I am like, I'm Henry VIII here with my spaghetti bolognese and my chips. I'm king of all I survey. Uh, so yeah, that's why it wasn't very rapid fire. I'll try and make the next answer quicker. That's okay. What's your favorite '80s band or music? So I was a kid in the '80s, so um, I wasn't listening to my own music yet. I'm going to blow any cool that I've established at any point in this interview now. Uh, my favorite song was the Phil Collins version of You Can't Hurry Love. Okay, a Phil Collins fan. Okay, what about your favorite 80s movie? 
Favourite 80s film? Okay, so again, I was a kid in the 80s, so I'm going to cheat here and I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to give you a kid movie and then I'm going to give you a grown-up movie that I came to later that was made in the 80s. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? Okay. Kid movie. That will accept. Okay. Kid movies, The Goonies. Nice. Uh, then you are Gen X. Yes. Basically. Yes. Uh, grown-up movie um, is Bull Durham. You ever seen that movie? Have you seen that movie? Ugh, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like a Kevin Costner fan at all. <laughs> uh, no, fine. No, I'm like that with Tom Cruise. It could be the best movie in the world if it's got Tom Cruise in it. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm out. And why did you go to college? Uh, ooh, uh, that's not a short answer. Um, it was just well. Uh, so, so my sister and I were the kind of we were the first generation um, to go to university in my family. Uh, my sister had already been, um, and it just kind of it just felt like the natural thing that was going to happen after school. So, what was your favorite music? As so, you told me as a kid was Phil Collins. So, how about as a teen? Uh, so, as a teen, well, so um, we're talking sort of like the mid early to mid nineties onwards. Uh, I mean, that was just such an exciting time if you're into guitar bands in, in the UK, because uh, that was, you know, what, we've, what we now call Britpop. I don't know that we called it that at the time. I can't really remember. Um, but it was bands like Blur and Oasis and Pulp and Supergrass and Elastica and, uh, you know, all these. It was so exciting. It, it kind of, I, was the perfect, I was the perfect age for it. I turned 16 in 94. Uh, the year that the first Oasis album came out, I just started playing guitar. I just started hanging out and, you know, looking around record shops on a Saturday afternoon and buying, buying, uh, you know, music papers. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was ideal. It was made for me. It was my scene. All right. And the last question is if you had someone from another generation that you could just give one bit of advice to old or young, what would it be? Um, so I don't have a history of giving particularly good advice, <clears throat> um, but from my years in tech support, uh, the best advice I can give anyone is try switching it off and back on again. Just, just try, just try that. You'd be amazed how many things that'll fix. All right, James. Well, how about you tell uh, the listeners where they can find you on the internet? Um, so I'm at Milo James Music, all one word, on Facebook. At Milo James underscore Music on Instagram. And from there, there's links to all my other stuff. So my YouTube channel and my Spotify page and, uh, and all of that top quality content. Uh, it's, it's, you know what, Trish, your listeners are smart people. They'll, they'll, they, they know what to do. They'll find me if, if, they, if they want to find me. Just in case, I'm still going to link um, all of your pages to the show notes as well. Um, but thank you so much for doing this. And um, I can't wait to share your music with, with the listeners. I'm so happy that you're going to do it. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been a blast. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army.